Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news of the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the second episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley, and we're back for another episode this week. Thank you all again as we transition into this new format here, talking all about Tennessee men's and women's basketball, the Vols and Lady Vols. We really appreciate you all tuning in. First full episode is up, coming on Monday. Check it out. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Podbean app as well. Go subscribe to us, follow us on there, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, especially that really will help the podcast get more uh, traction, more people to see it, more exposure. So we really appreciate that. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Well, Gene, we touched on this a little bit in the last episode on Monday, really the first episode of the, the new format, but in our last episode together here, I mentioned that I wanted to have a discussion about Tennessee head basketball coach Rick Barnes, but I wanted to save it for its own kind of podcast because at that point we'd already talked like 40 minutes or so, and I knew if we talked more about Rick Barnes, it would take up maybe another 40 minutes, so I wanted to have its own episode to discuss. And I'll say that, starting it off here, after Friday's loss in the first round to Oregon State, the 70 to 56 loss by Tennessee and the way the kind of the season went in general with Tennessee finishing 18 and nine at one point being a, a top 10 borderline top five team uh, falling out of the rankings by the end of the season, getting a five seed and then falling prey to that five twelve upset. And of course, right now, Oregon state is now in the sweet 16. They, they pull off another upset and beat Oklahoma state. So Oregon state's just playing hard right now won the PAC 12 tournament now into the sweet 16, but Tennessee going 10 and seven in conference play. A lot of fans, I think understandably so, and I think to an extent, rightfully so, upset with not just the season, but kind of Rick Barnes specifically, and, and, and not just with the season, but kind of in general the last few years, about, you know, being a little stubborn, not wanting to go away from the offensive system that he's implemented here because it's been something he's done before and has worked, and, you know, he's kind of stuck to it. And that this, it's kind of seems like the same teams always beat Tennessee in the regular season and postseason. You always have Alabama, LSU, Auburn always give Rick Barnes trouble and Tennessee trouble with under Rick Barnes because of the way they play offense. It's more of a, you know, modern style of offense as opposed to Rick Barnes, who's had that that system he's had for for decades. Not necessarily a modern way of doing it, the passing on the perimeter and trying to get penetration that way or setting up shots and using picks, but not the same type of way you, you see picks, pick and rolls and stuff used in the NBA necessarily. Um, and then you get the tournament time. That's been another big gripe by Vol fans, aside from that Sweet 16 round a couple years ago. You know, hasn't had a whole lot of tournament success at Tennessee. You could argue that that Sweet 16 team should have made a further, deeper run. And in fact, since going to Elite Eights in two of three seasons in the mid-2000s, um, he hasn't made it past, he hasn't gotten to the Elite Eight since 2008, and now he made it to the Sweet 16 one time since that point. And that was, of course, the 2019 season with Tennessee. So that's all a bunch of points that I think we'll kind of cover here, Gene, but I, I, I do want to toss it off to you here now. I'm curious your thoughts on specifically, let's let's first talk about the early NCAA tournament exits, because like I said, it's been over a decade since we've seen Rick Barnes get to lead eight. And that's, I mean, again, 
it's hard to get a, a determined run. I mean, you could look at a number of coaches and say, hey, these these guys are the top ten, top fifteen, you know, of salaries in, in college basketball, and you know how much, how often they've been able to get to elite eights, final fours, and, and whatnot. It's hard to do. It, it is really hard to do. That's not to take away from you know that, that's not to try to praise Rick Barnes and kind of uh, pivot and, and not give him I think the proper amount of uh, blame and criticism because I think he does deserve some of it. But I also think people have gone overboard with it. But if it's been a decade since you've gotten Elite Eight and you're recruiting, you know you recruited really well at Texas, you're recruiting really really well at Tennessee, and you've had one Sweet Sixteen and a a second round exit and a first round exit in the last uh, three NCAA tournaments. I understand fans' frustrations, and I, I think it's, to me, there's a reason why he's gotten the nickname of, of regular season Rick. I mean, you, you look at what he's done. His teams generally do well. They, they win anywhere between 20 and 25 games in the regular season. Sometimes they'll get over that and, and get close to 30, but they don't typically do well in tournament settings. It you know, hasn't won a, a conference tournament, I don't think, ever maybe. I'm, I'm trying to see if he won any at Texas. I don't, I don't think he did. I don't think they ever won a, a Big 12 tournament and, and when he's at Texas, obviously hasn't won Tennessee, but then again, it's been a, a, several decades since any Tennessee team has won the conference tournament. But I don't. I think the last time he won a conference tournament uh, was back in 1994 with Providence. So it's been a while since he's done that too. So I, I'm curious in your thoughts on the early exits because you look at since 2008, lost the second round, lost the first round, lost the second round, lost the first round. We go to the CBI, losing the first round. Lost the first round. Lost the second round. Doesn't make it the first two years of Tennessee. Loses the second round. Sweet 16. No tournament. Loses the first round. That's that's a, that's a lot of disappointing results when you look at some of those teams that he coached where you had teams that won 23, 24, 28 games at Texas. That 26-win team at Tennessee, a 31-win win team at Tennessee. This year, if you extrapolate it out to a, a normal regular season, probably a 23-ish win team for Tennessee this year too. I understand fans' frustration, and I, I, I just don't know that it's gonna really get a whole lot better under Rick Barnes unless he changes philosophy. But I, I don't think he will, and I don't, I, I just, I don't think he's gonna change it enough to where it's gonna really make a difference in what Tennessee is able to do in the tournament, you know, in the coming years. So I always like to have this discussion with people when they bring up Rick Barnes, and. What I always ask him when they bring up the tournament is, I understand his record is what it is, but I guess you have to be my age or around my age to really answer this question. When did Texas ever have a team where you're like, that's a national championship contender? Like, going into the season, like, how many teams, like, and I I don't know in terms of, like, preseason rankings and I assume there's probably places you can go to find that stuff. But how many teams, I guess college basketball reference would be a good place to go. How many teams did he have where going into the season, you were like, man, that is one of the two, three best teams in the country. Um, Like, I understand, like the Tennessee team two, three years ago. Yeah, if you want to if you want to go disappointment with that team because they lost on the last second shot, more or less. Uh, against Purdue, you know, I understand it was an overtime game, but I mean, the call right there at the end of regulation killed them because they had that game won. And I actually thought they would have beat Virginia because I think their defense was decent enough combined with Tennessee having a far better offense. Um, 
I felt like they would have actually been in a Final Four team that year. But I just don't know how many teams – I don't even know how highly ranked the Durant team was. Um, and so, like, so I understand, like, pointing to his record and saying he's failed, he's failed, he's failed. But, A, I've never thought about Texas as a basketball school – Never, I've never really yeah. thought of as much of any sort of school, to be honest. I know they had the championship with Vince Young, and I understand that, like, if I, I read people like Bomani Jones, who's a huge Texas fan, I, I read, like, his, you know, his, his social media, and, like, and, like, they hold Texas to a high standard, but it's not like, I, in my lifetime, it's not like I look at Texas anything, and I'm like, oh, it's Texas. Like, there's certain things that you can kind of look at. Even Tennessee's ninety success in in football. Uh, a lot of teams, USC, the early two, like I can look and say, like, there's something in my lifetime where I point to. I'm like, man, that team's pretty good. Um, but I mean, I think you've got it, maybe uh, pulled up as far yeah, as yeah. So, as far so as to your point, concerned. yeah, to your point, like, bef- to go before Rick Barnes even. And you know, since the tournament expanded to um, what sixty four teams in eighty five, there was a, a the span before that. In the years before that, Rick Barnes' first season as head coach in nineteen ninety eight, they made the tournament eight times and missed it six, and they got to the Sweet Sixteen, I think twice. They they, they lost the regional final in nineteen ninety and lost the regional semifinal in nineteen ninety seven. So you know they made they got past the second round twice in in those eight tournament appearances. And then you're looking, like you said, at Rick Barnes when he first took over. His first team was a preseason ranked number 21. Second team wasn't ranked preseason, finished 18th. And that first one finished 15th. Third season, preseason ranked 23rd. Ranked 4th preseason, 12th, 16th, 2nd, 21st, 15th, 7th, 3rd. And then his last one, two, three, four, four of his last five teams began the season unranked. And then his last team started the season ranked 10th and then finished unranked. So, I mean, that's that's not a bad point. Where you talked about, you know, a few of those yeah. teams obviously, you know, top 15, top 10 teams in the preseason, but majority of those didn't have a whole lot of preseason hype for them. Yeah, so if we want to blame the media for being inaccurate about how they felt about a team or about whatever, like, you know, I, again, when, we, when this thing was branded SEC Basketball Fever – I, I ripped all the media because I said that y'all got Kentucky ranked way too high for a team with that many new pieces and no preseason. What happened? They were worse than even I expected. Um, but I didn't think they were that. But so I'm sitting here looking at myself and his team that was preseason ranked number four. I'm, I'm assuming that's TJ Ford loses in the national semi in the final four. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much your fourth. You finish in the final four. You met your expectations. Yeah, there are ways that year too. I feel like a lot of things that I hear sometimes, and I don't pay attention to a lot of this stuff because, hey, I don't really care how people <laughs> feel about the guy. I truly don't. Um, a lot of people will point to his losses as a higher seed or whatever, but usually those preseason rankings are indicative of the talent on your roster. So if he was ranked higher, that would actually mean he probably in a regular season exceeded the expectations that the media kind of put forth on in the first place. So, I mean, and obviously with, you know, the NCAA tournament being a one game crapshoot, you never fully know. Now, is can we again, can we point to little things about maybe his in-game 
adjustments and blah, 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 blah. I get that. And again, as I look here, uh, that 2009-2010 team that lost in the first round of the tournament, that's a bad look. Yep. No other way to say it. Mm-hmm. The, the year before, number seven in the country loses the second round of the tournament. Bad look. Um, 2005-16, excuse me, that won 30 games. Loses in the regional final. Technically, that's not reaching expectations. Let's see. That, so I know that year, that was the that would have been the Elite Eight. I'm trying to think, didn't they... They lost to oh they lost to LSU that year. Never mind. I was, I was thinking they lost to the eventual national champion, but that was not the case. Yeah, LSU didn't so, win the title that year. <laughs> yeah, it loses in overtime, you know, to LSU mm-hmm. in, in that game. So, like, I get the rush to rip Rick, but a he's coached at two schools that, if we're being honest, don't really have a whole lot of basketball history. And I say that with all due respect to the Ernie and Bernie show and all that. Like Tennessee doesn't have this like big level of success, so you're mad that he didn't reach expectations that he's never been able to reach before. So you're mad that he's being Rick, basically. He's taken teams that have largely been, you know, underappreciated in the regular season. He's taken them to levels that they may not have reached, and then when there have been expectations, sometimes he doesn't reach them, and sometimes he does. Because we can point to the fact that he lost in Sweet 16 two years ago. But again, look at the details. They were winning that game. As horrible as they started that game. I was at that game in Louisville. Yep. I understand. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible start. They got hot. They figured something out. They had every chance to win that game. And if they don't call that call on Lamonte Turner, they win that game. Or if Tennessee makes you know, a, just a couple more free throws. They were awful. She exactly. free throws that game. Exactly. So there's so many different things you can point to. And I get it. It's it's an indictment. But I look at this team, and again, this is part my fault. But when, you know, if people want to point to things from the rankings perspective, they weren't a well put together team this year. And if you want to again, you want to blame Rick for that, go right ahead. You can go right ahead with that. But if you just look at that roster, well, Gene, they've got what, three three five-star kids, a four-star kid who didn't even play, and another four-star who became very hit or miss in terms of the shots he makes and misses and missed a whole heck of a lot more shots than he made this year and was somehow a minus 22 in a game they lost by like six points. So, um, And I think Eve Pons was a four-star in some things too, so can throw them in there too. Yeah, on this one, one they've got him as a a three, but his ranking is very four-worthy. But... Um, so in, so if you look at the players, again, I don't know what people, I guess people saw the ridiculous athleticism when it came to Eve Ponds, because if anybody looked at his offensive game for one minute, you would not rank that kid a four star. And he got better. Like, that's yeah. the crazy part about it. He got better at Tennessee offensively. But the fact that he was a four star, that can, that to me makes me like, laugh at the system that puts star rankings on these players to begin with. And we rank them on measurables and not who they are as a basketball player. And again, when you have a fan base that that bases a lot of their stuff on just how highly you're ranked, you know, because, you know, if it's laziness or if it's just, we don't know of another way because we're mainly a football base. Um, Whatever the case may be, whatever the reasoning may be. You know, when the fan base looks and sees 
you know, we got five star, five star, then they're gonna ex- they're gonna assume man championships, but that's not always the case. And, and so, I'm just looking at a roster that, again, in my opinion, is probably going to take a couple years to get right because I'm not sure how you get this thing right to begin with. And again, like it was funny is this is typically when when Rick does his best coaching when the expectations aren't really there because that team, what three, four years ago was preseason 13th in the, in the sec. Yeah. And that team won 26 games and you can get mad about him losing the Loyola. But if I recall going into that game, nobody thought that he was, that y'all were going to, I mean, going into that season, nobody had high expectations for Tennessee anyway. So why are you getting mad? Because he exceeded the expectations that you didn't have for them to begin with. You can't have it both ways. Like he is who he is. Like that's, you know, like what has to be figured out is how can he get better within the framework of who he is to where maybe this team can make one, you know, run and at least have a chance to play for a final four to where you feel good about the team that you had, because once they started playing like, you know, like-minded, you know, similarly talented teams, they fell apart. I mean, they, they pretty yeah. much, or they more or less fell apart this season when they started playing teams that weren't, you know, directional schools and Appalachian states and all this, that, and the other. Uh, once you started playing like similar competition, yeah, you beat Colorado. I saw bits and pieces of that game. It wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you beat Cincinnati. They fell apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you beat Kansas. That was one of the worst Kansas teams in recent memory. You beat Kentucky. Enough said. <laughs> Um, you beat Arkansas. That was a win that you can you can put a lot on that. You could put a lot on that win because Arkansas was about, was starting to figure some stuff out. That was a good win, and you beat them basically, kind of playing your own playing their game. Because if I recall, it was like eighty to seventy five, something along those lines, like eighty two seventy three, whatever it was. It was. I feel like both teams were in the seventies, and those are games that I typically would choose the more the better offensive team to win. And the better defensive team won that game. So, like, there's enough reason to be optimistic. But the question is, how much flipping of this roster is Rick Barnes willing to do to make this team competitive next year? Because I don't know what the answer to that question is. And I know people can laugh about the whole, we're not, I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean competitive? He's going to have, you know, the number one point guard in the country. Uh, you know, he's going to have two five stars and, you know, all this. And, and again, you're making the same mistake. Who are those five star players? A junior. A, well, actually, it will be sophomore because nobody loses eligibility. So a sophomore and Josiah James, who key piece last week, I compared him to Draymond Green. and I'm sticking to that. Uh, and Kennedy Chandler. And then they've got the, what, Mayshock? Is that his kid's name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid from California. And I'm not 100% sure what he is mm-hmm. yet, but it seems like he'll be a good player. Um, and, I mean, who else? <laughs> yeah, like, it, there's going to be a lot of, I think, like you said, I think last podcast, I think there's going to be several guys who, I mean, really, we mentioned it, basically almost all the bench players are on Transfer Watch. You've already got Tennessee's names connected to several different transfers in the, out in the market. You know, whether it's a Walker Kessler, Justin Powell, 
Uh, there was another guy, I'm trying to remember who it was, that Tennessee's name was mentioned that had already reached out and contacted. So, I mean, you're seeing Tennessee already being thrown out there with a bunch of different transfers in, in the market right now. Yeah, and they better. They're, yeah. they're not they're not connected to enough guys in the transfer market, if, you're, if you ask me. Um, I think for them to be competitive now, uh, for them to be competitive next season, like it's all about trying to fit the pieces together. So you can't have two offensively challenged, the way they play, you can't have two offensively challenged interior men. Yeah. They did. Mm -hmm. With all due respect to Fulkerson, who was a good player, and to Pons, who was a good player, you can't have two guys who are not really dangerous offensively. Like I think what made that what made those pieces fit uh, the year the, you know the year before was Grant Williams was an offensive minded guy and you know Kyle Alexander you could use him and he could have some games but that wasn't really you had one person that you could get some inside points from because Rick loves throwing the ball into the paint. Um, you have to have if you're going to have a Josiah then you need to have somebody who may be a little – if you want to throw the ball into the paint. Because, see, if it was me, I would just completely from day one put Josiah James at the four. Just from day one, have him in there, have him have him run a point forward type system, and basically I, I would do everything I could to keep Vescovi. I don't think it's going to be hard, but I, I think you do everything you can to keep Vescovi. Because bringing Vescovi back, you know, I'm looking at what this Tennessee team could be, and selfishly, I like to kind of play around with this stuff. I'm looking at a team that could be like the Warriors at the beginning, before uh, when when Steph looked like a babyface assassin type kid, and it before right right before what's his face took over, Steve, Steve Kerr. You know, because now you have you know when Steve Kerr took over, Dray, you know Draymond became kind of your Distributor, he became the guy that would initiate most of your offense. Then you still had, you know, obviously, you still have the ability to Steph of Steph to do that, uh, and, and you know, so now that guy can become a Kennedy Chandler. Does he shoot well enough? No, but uh, I mean, he, you know, you've got another guy who can get to the basket and attack the basket. Then you've got Viscovi, who's obviously, again, I think he's as good of a, just a flat-out shooter as there is in the SEC. Um, then you got to figure some stuff out because you can't be vertically challenged either. And a backcourt of Kennedy Chandler, Vescovi, and Victor Bailey is are not fast enough to really scare anybody. Well, I'd, I'd say I'd small, say Chandler's fast yeah. enough, but yeah, they're they're small. Those are small guys. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna be that small, you better be fast. You better be explosively fast. I think Chandler is, but Vescovi has shown he's not he's not quick yeah. enough. Yeah, and Bailey is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bailey is Bailey. He, like I don't know. Like I think the key for him, and again, like I understand, like the red shirt year could throw you your throw things off, and just not having a full season. I mean, the whole season being all messed up, and um, but like I, I don't know what the answer is for that guy, but I think he's I think he's can be consistently better than what he was. I do. I, I truly think he can be consistently better than what he was. And 
if you can just get some there. But you need to find if you want, you know, if you're going to put, you know, Josiah in that sort of Draymond role, then you need to find a guy in the transfer market who's about six six. And I think that's where the Auburn kid kind of fits in. If you could get him, um, just a guy. Like just a guy. Like if and if you get the Auburn kid and maybe you get the Kessler kid, then now all of a sudden I don't know how good the Kessler kid is defensively, but you know you now have a guy who can. Um, pretty he, I mean, he he's a shooter, right? And I'm pretty certain. Yeah. I don't know much about the kid. I'll be honest with you. But he didn't. I, I he do didn't know play. That, he didn't play a ton for North Carolina this season because I mean they they that was a weird fit anyway. Yeah, I, I thought uh, it was weird too. Honestly, uh, but like, he was. T- who does he? I don't. Who is he? The, the Luke May guy? Is that who? Is that kind? Of, is that maybe what they envisioned of him? But I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I know. Coming up high school when he was at, um, down in Georgia, Tennessee was like was one of the top schools for him, and it wasn't until kind of a late, late push by North Carolina where he ended up going there. But he he played twenty nine games. He only averaged just under nine minutes per game, but in those nine minutes, he averaged four point four points and three point two rebounds, and he shot. Uh, 58% from the floor, and, and including about 60%, you know, in his two-point shots. Didn't really shoot a whole lot from three. Um, that's not bad though. I mean, that, that is for a seven-foot-one guy. I mean, you know, most of his buckets probably came around the rim. But if you push it out to a per 40, which obviously that's not how he's not going to play 40 minutes a game. But if you push it out to a per 40, just looking at his efficiency, per 40 minutes, that's 20 points and 15 rebounds a game. Obviously, like I said, that's not going to happen. But that's still and and he got a, quite a few blocks. He almost averaged a block per game in just nine minutes a game. So that's not bad at all. He, he got 25 blocks in 29 games, um, only playing like 250 minutes this season. Now, my question would be, how many of those were important minutes? Yeah, I, I, I love thought, it. I looking, love it. Looking at his game log, he did play um, – I remember looking at this before. He played quite a bit more in the last 10 games of the season or so. Okay. He started to play that's more – that's yeah, got that's yeah that's he, 100% the makings of yeah his hey, his best performance yeah i think his I'm best performance for, was uh february 27th against florida state played 24 minutes had 20 points 8 rebounds that's quality and and the conference no, tournament against yeah. Notre Dame granted Notre Dame wasn't good but he played 21 minutes 16 points 12 boards so he played more as like later in the season he wasn't playing a whole lot early on they, they ended up playing a lot more uh chunks of minutes um starting in kind of mid February it looks like he played started play, he played against Northeastern and then against or Virginia played 11 minutes and then 12 12 9 24 11 so he, he started playing more minutes in kind of mid-February for North Carolina yeah some of that 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 has a feeling of because yellow's like according to this he was probably like one of the first kids off the bench in that Notre Dame game mm-hmm. um you know some of that in eight blocks you know 16, Golly, 12, yeah I just, I just now saw that stat wow yeah like I'm wondering like that, something to me is fishy about this stat line. I, I, it feels to me like you know he had the conversation with Roy, coach. I'm not happy here. I'm thinking about maybe putting myself in the trip. Well, let, let's let's figure something out here. And he gets all of a sudden he's first kid off the bench playing 21 minutes in an absolute blowout that appears like it was never really. It, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm looking. I was looking to see. But yeah, they won 101-59. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking for the. I was looking to see like the breakdown of first half versus second half. And um, it was a fourteen game 
point there's a 14 point game at halftime and then they outscored them 51 23 in the second half yeah so, uh, i was looking for the first half box score like did oh, yeah, he just yeah. did he just like eat up like 17 minutes in the second half or something but uh <laughs> but no i mean like look it, no, i'm joking obviously but the kid is obviously a good player he's a good piece i don't know what he is again yeah. and i say that just from a place of ignorance where i don't know what he is as a player you say he's seven feet tall, you know, you, you know, everybody always yells, you can't coach that. And I'm like, yeah, you can't coach it, but what can that player actually do at that size? Because I think people thought that Plovsic was going to be like some rim protector dominator. And I was on radio in Knoxville two years ago saying, I don't think you're getting what you think you're getting from this kid. And all I simply meant was I just didn't, from what I, the people I talked to in, here in Chattanooga, I got a lot of people telling me, I mean, he's nice, a pretty nice offensive player. Defensively, he's not going to affect a lot. And that kind that's kind of played out over the past two years. So, but who knows? Maybe you get a kid like Kessler. Those two can kind of go at it in practice. And maybe Iron Sharp sharpens iron there. I don't know. Uh, you know, I truly don't. But I do think that that's something that's going to be interesting. They have to do something. Like again, like I can't, I can't harp enough. I don't think people realize that for Tennessee to be good next year, how hard it's going to be to make changes to this roster. Like there aren't enough changes you can make to this roster this year to be competitive. And again, like like, and when I say competitive, they were competitive two years ago. Mm-hmm. If you want to be the seventeen and thirteen or seventeen and fourteen team, you got that roster. You'll have that roster next year. Like if you're, if you're going to tell, you know, yeah, you've got the quote unquote number one point guard in the country, and I only say that I understand the ranking says that I don't know what he is. Maybe he's again, I don't know what he is. Got to see him in a college game before I can truly make some observations about the kid. But if you've got the number one point guard in the country, who are you surrounding him with? Yep. What you want to surround him with a six six, you know, kid who is probably too unselfish. <laughs> you know, a six-three shooter, um, and then a, what? A six-four shooter at best, and who else? You know, so like, and then, like and then maybe a, a seven-footer who should be a bench player, yeah, <laughs> like, not and, probably and, starter. Yeah, and 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 a sicky who is still trying to figure some stuff out at this level. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what you have. I mean, look, Pember, maybe if he comes back, I can tell you right now, I think that the, the chances of Conwell coming back are like somewhere between zero and 0.1%. Because now that, you know, Kim English is at George Mason, you know, that kid's from the Baltimore area, you know, makes, you know, stands to reason that that kid's going to be, you know, moving back closer to home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying I wouldn't be stunned if they ended up at George Mason closer to home. Uh, Kim English has some Baltimore ties, obviously. So, so like, what do you have now? Like, that's that's what you're going to surround the number one. So then what's going to happen is people are going to be mad because he can't overcome a poor a poorly constructed roster that doesn't really have anybody else that scares you. I mean, everybody loved that Sharif Cooper was putting up all these great numbers until Auburn quit winning. And then all yep. of a sudden, it was like, well, what's wrong with this kid? Man, we sh- they shut him down. No, it's easy to shut a kid down 
when you don't have any options for him. It's easy to make a guy look like he's not a good basketball player when he does when he's not surrounded. So, real quick, at the beginning of last year, and I still get made fun of for it. Um, I said I made a comment about Jaden Springer and IMG. The point I was making, which has kind of bared itself out, is I know ex- we all saw exactly a lot of people were at that game when IMG played Knox Catholic. And they saw what he looked like when he was surrounded by great players. How often did James Springer look like that this year? Uh, he put up that what thirty yeah, performance and yeah, he, he had a couple really good games. Yep. But that, but like all last year when he came back from that injury, his at the beginning I think it was like an ankle sprain or something his senior year. All that year, everybody's thinking, man, we got this guy, we got this guy, we got this guy. And again, my question is like, I'd be careful. He's playing with likely ta- with similarly talented players against less than similarly talented competition. So all those guys on IMG look amazing. Guess what? I saw Matthew Morrell play too for Ole Miss. That kid averaged like four points a game this year. Mm-hmm. It's all funny games until you're surrounded by guys who look like you. Tennessee did not have a team full of players who were who looked like Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, which is why sometimes they look good and sometimes they look like just flat out freshmen, because they're having to go back to their IMG and Webb Bell buckle days, <laughs> where they're you know where it's like Will Smith offense, where it's like hey give the ball to Will, give the ball to Will, you know, and so they so Will dribbles down court and shoots over five people because Will doesn't trust the other four people on his team. And so then you start looking and you're like, you know, I mean, if I'm Keon Johnson or if I'm Jaden Springer, who am I looking at to get me a bucket? Ease? Who's made, who's a who's a again an amazing defensive player, but as a I mean, as an offensive player, there's a lot to be desired there. Still, yeah, Fulkerson, who obviously had a ton of issues this year, wasn't the same player. Wasn't even the same threat. I don't care about your how many points a game he averaged. He wasn't the same threat this year. What Josiah, who's more, who really wants to just fill a stat sheet? He's not going to go out there to give you twenty. Amazing talent, mm-hmm. he's out there to give you twenty. Like that's what they were surrounded with: Victor Bailey, Devontae Gaines. So, so you bring up a point that I, I want. Sorry to cut you off. I, I, there's there's oh, a point there that you wanted to that you brought up. That I wanted to bring up too, and that's to talk about the expectations at the beginning of the season and you know the frustration with Rick Barnes and kind of tying it back to that too I I think it's worth questioning you know when like you said this is still branded the SEC basketball fever podcast and in the beginning of the season we made our our picks for the who's going to win the SEC and stuff and everyone else in the media did too and and Tennessee was most often the pick I mean I think some people pick Kentucky and stuff too which is even more even more laughable in hindsight but I'm I'm curious if you think this too because I, I almost think the naivety we had maybe looking at this roster and thinking, okay, they, they added two five-star talents. We expected guys to improve, all of them to improve, because we'd seen, you know, year in and year out, for the most part under Barnes, guys have taken steps forward and stuff. We expected Pons and Fulkerson, I think, to, you know, improve some. And Fulkerson, to, you know, I, I I wonder with him if there was an injury or something else off the court with him, because, I mean, he, he wasn't him, you know, the same guy. And I think to, to an extent, like, he wasn't the same guy to the level of, I don't think it was just, you know, 
taking a different role, not being a great leader. I think there was something else there that I, I don't I don't know. I, I hope you know hope he's fine and I hope everything's going on. But that's with him is fine. But I I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm not trying to like again. Not trying to report anything or really try to speculate a whole lot. I just it just it just didn't seem like something was right with him this whole season. But I almost wonder if expectations for this team. They were ranked preseason number twelve. They were picked to win the SEC. I almost wonder if they were if we were all kind of fooled this offseason, it's easy to look back in hindsight in 2020 and say, yes, you know, obviously the, the expectations were too high for this team. But looking at the roster, Gene, were we just, I, I think fans were, you know, they throw this, like you said, in Rick Barnes' face saying, oh, this team should have been better. Look where they were preseason. Look at the rankings. Look at what this team is expected to do. What you're expected to do by the media and what you're capable of are very, or two very different things. It's, it's not Rick Barnes's fault that, we as the media thought that this team was going to be a, a top 15, top 10 team. I, I honestly think looking back on it, we should have had made more caution. That, like I said, again, it's easy to say with hindsight, but this roster wasn't drastically different than last season's roster. You, you expected guys to take steps forward. You know, I think you thought Viscovi would be a little bit better since he had a, well, kind of a full offseason. This offseason obviously was very different than a typical offseason, but he, he wasn't coming in mid-season at this time. You had guys who had been in the program for another year think, okay, maybe they can take a step forward, whether it was a, a Pember or a Gaines or a, you know, a, a Olivia Camwa, some guy off the bench like that. You're bringing in two more five stars. Can Corey Walker play any? And he, he's a four star who you, you thought you'd get something from who didn't play period this year. How much do you think these preseason expectations, I, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to figure out the question I want to ask here because I, I think to me, the preseason expectations and hype I no, think I, we think, all, I think I think, I think, I think we we're all misled. I honestly think we're all misled because I think the roster wasn't. I don't think the roster was anywhere close to as good as we thought it was going to be, and and I think that maybe again you can blame Rick Barnes for that. And I think it's fair to blame him for the the way the roster was constructed the last two seasons, because I think they should have been more aggressive in the transfer market this past year. And they got Anisiki, who I thought would have been better than what he was, but I really think they really should have pushed harder for like a guy like Mac McClung. Again, that doesn't mean if. You know, people. I've seen people on Twitter say, "Well, they shouldn't have rejected. They shouldn't turn down Mac McClung." I don't think that's the case. I think Mac McClung. I think he's the one who rejected Tennessee. I don't think it was the other way around. I think he was the one who cut Tennessee off because I think he wanted to go somewhere else. Like he obviously went to Texas Tech. Um, but I, th- I think there were ways that Rick Barnes could have done more, or the staff could have done more to affect the roster in the off season. But you also look at. I mean, DJ Burns didn't work out because of DJ Burns. Zach Kent. That was a missed evaluation. Jalen Johnson. That was a missed evaluation. I think there is plenty of blame to go on Barnes and his staff for the way the roster was constructed. But I also think we all may have fallen in prey, just like a lot of media members did with Kentucky, to the stars and saying, hey, look, they have they have two new five stars coming in. They have a five star on the roster. They have a couple four stars. They have talent. That obviously means they're going to be good. I, I, think it's, I think it's worth mentioning that a lot of the anger, I think, is because a lot of us expected this team to be really good and to win the SEC. But just because the media and fans expect something doesn't mean that's the reality for a team. I think so. My evaluation of this Tennessee team was, and again, like this is just maybe this is just how I absorb the game of basketball. I thought that them bringing Enesiki in was going to push John Fulkerson to the fore. So you now had a Fulkerson option at the four. Maybe you could play Olivier Kamwa at the five as well. Then you could play Josiah, 
uh, or Eves at three four kind of as a mix. I never, I've never. People can check my work. I've never really viewed Vescovi as a point guard, but I thought that Springer and maybe Victor Bailey could handle a lot of those responsibilities. And I thought that Keon would be just a talented athlete that could just go make plays. I was about half true there, not even nearly half on that. Um, Because I look to see what your best eight are. Because when you're going to compete for a championship, you're not going 10-11 deep. Maybe that's what makes that Bama team so special right now is the fact that they pretty much kind of do go 10 deep, which is just crazy uh, to me. And they're all guards. And then they've got two bigs. And so, again, that always runs off, you know, and everybody's like, we got to go get bigs. We got to go get bigs. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, show me the big for you – know you know who I see post up for Alabama? Herb Jones. Yep. He's, what, 6'8"? Six, yeah. seven, somewhere guess, around there. Yeah, guess, guess who posts up for everybody's, you know, for all Tennessee fans' favorite coach, LSU. The only person that posts up for LSU from what I've watched. Trenton Watford. That's it. That's it. Those are only guys. You don't need a big. If you, if you want to go get a big, make sure he's an athlete. Maybe go block a shot or two. But, like, throwing the ball into the paint and slowing your offense down when your offense is mainly predicated on motion and cutting – and mid-range jump shots, uh, which is still a way to win. I mean, to be fair, like I understand that everybody's in love with the Bama style. You can, I mean, Tennessee had two chances to beat the Bama style. You know, they lost just because, again, offensively they just didn't have the guys. So at the end of the day, like, you know, going back to the original question, I I don't know if it's. Ne- I think what a lot of people's evaluation is, you know, is based on this year is the fact that we didn't know as much as we thought we knew about the league. Yeah. We, you were higher on Bama than I was in the preseason, but <laughs> neither one of us was like, Oh, this Bama team could just more or less run the table. Yeah. You know, we thought, we thought they were middle of the pack and they were far better than that. I think we were both lukewarm on Arkansas. I thought they had lost a couple, you know, to me, key pieces. We were, we both had them about middle of the pack somewhere. LSU, we were both pretty spot on about Kentucky. I think we both picked around two, three. Um, yeah. So I don't think it was as much the evaluation of Tennessee. That's the problem. It's how so many people didn't evaluate what the SEC was this year, what Alabama specifically was this year, which is an offensive juggernaut in an age where people are, you know, going out there and putting five three-point shooters on the court and said, beat us, you know, find your five. Like Tennessee guarded, again, Tennessee guarded Bama as well as anybody in the country twice, twice. And had every chance to win. And again, sometimes you can put so much pressure on your defense. Like I, I, the way I always look at it is, if you're going to play a team that's good offensively, you better be good offensively too. You can be a good, de- you can be a good defensive team, but you better have some guys who can go get some stuff done offensively. Tennessee's offense with with a couple better pieces, a couple better players, 
beats Bama at least once. And again, the first time they were playing without the the James kid, if I recall. Um, So, like, they had every opportunity to beat this vaunted Bama team that some people are already picking the Final Four and some people are thinking national championship about as we enter Sweet 16 weekend. That element, first of all, I'm pretty sure Bama and Michigan are in the same bracket. I cannot wait for that game if that's actually happening. I think. Again, I could be wrong. Bama could be the two in Michigan's region. Shows how much I've actually looked at these brackets. But, um, but man, and yeah, Bama's the two in Michigan's bracket. So that would be an amazing game. But I think it's both we probably didn't take in consideration how good this Bama, I mean, you know, certain things that we chose to overlook as far as Tennessee's roster, but mainly it was just the fact that we didn't evaluate some, some other teams in the league, the way that we should have, Uh, because here, what's going to happen is next year we'll over-evaluate like a Bama. Oh yeah. And we'll over-evaluate a team like Arkansas teams like that, that, I mean, that are good, but usually it's the mix of talent and experience. Like I lean heavily on those two things. I thought that Victor Bailey was going to be like the sixth man this team needed. I wrote that. I said he was the I wrote a story saying he was the key to a run in March. Um, and or apparently key or like thereof. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought that he was going to be that. But if you look at that ten, that that Bama roster, uh, the freshman guard, I can't remember. Uh, Primo. Yeah, guys like that, their job is buffered because you've got a Herb Jones on that roster, because yes. you've got John Petty who played for Wimp Sanderson, because you've got guys on that roster who have been through it. Like, they may not have been through an NCAA tournament run, but they're juniors and seniors. The uh, the center, isn't he like a junior or singer too? Number three. Uh, Turner? No, the, the shooter. Oh, no, Alex Reese. Yeah, he's a senior. Yeah, like, those things don't get you, – what Nate Oates did was unlock a skill that all these guys had. Like, oh, you're a 6'9", three-point shooter guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go to – we're going to use this. Like, when he's when, – when they got that guy hitting shots and when he's in a rhythm – I mean, I, he hits threes. They don't even touch the net. I mean, he's ripping the nets when he's shooting. But like, if we if we had all looked at that roster, because that's usually what you have to have. You can bring in all the talented freshmen. Tennessee can bring in every sort of you know Kennedy Chandler they want to, or Josiah James, or Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. But none of those guys have had buffers. Zion Williamson didn't win a championship his freshman year. They didn't make the Final Four. It's so rare. So if you're going to point to the fact that really the 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 fact there's only been two national champions that were based off freshmen, and that was the Kentucky team that the last time I checked had a pretty transcendent player. Yeah. And then at that time, we thought that Jaleel Okafor in 2015 with Justice Winslow and Tyus Jones and Grayson Allen – but that team also, you know, we look at those freshmen forgetting, you know, conveniently forgetting that Quinn Cook was a second team All-American on that team. You know, so we look at those freshmen, but you always have to have buffers to let those freshmen, those freshmen, guess what happens when it's crunch time? Those freshmen aren't touching the ball. 
you're giving the ball to those experienced players. You're not giving the ball to those freshmen and saying, take us home. Anthony Davis averaged like 12 points a game that year. He was just such a tremendous defensive player that it was, and they were surrounded by some good players, including a, like a fifth or sixth year senior and Darius Miller and some juniors. And so it just made the freshman's job easier. So I don't expect next year to be an awful lot better if they don't get any pieces for Kennedy Chandler because they don't have the buffers to make their job easier unless Victor Bailey comes on and Josiah James becomes a more offensively focused player. You even look at, to your point about the freshmen having buffers, like even the LSU, who I think should have had the freshman of the year in Cam Thomas, averaged 23 points a game. He still had buffering him. Sophomore Trenton Watford, 16 points. Junior Javante Smart, 16 points. And junior Darius Days, who had about 12 points a game. So to your point there, then also a, a junior and Andre Hyatt, who um, I think came off the bench and was uh, one of the first guys off the bench along with Manning and, and Wilkinson. Uh, I mean, like again, he had a lot of points and he was at a prolific score and, and it was one of the top freshman scorers in all of college basketball. But like you, like your point there, you had plenty of other guys who you could give the ball to and it would trust to score in Watford smart and days. I mean, and, and other guy, other guys too, who were, you know, you have a guy like uh, a Wilkinson who's a good three point shooter and Jalen cook could hit some three pointers as well. He didn't play as many minutes, but still you had guys you can count on to, be, to do things other than just cam Thomas. He wasn't your only, it wasn't like Tennessee where if it wasn't Springer and Keon, making shots for you, you were going to be almost out of luck on, on the offensive side of the ball this year. And I hate... So, I understand a lot of people have been down and out on the whole Josiah James. Right. And the unfortunate thing about him is people may not appreciate how good of a player he is until he's gone. I, because, I, I love Josiah Jordan James. And I, I know, like you said, he gets a lot of hate because he's People say, who's a five-star? He should be doing this. He should be doing that. I, I get he doesn't have the pretty stats, like a, a, the shooting percentage and, and points, but I, I love his attitude. Like you said, maybe he's a little too unselfish, but he's a guy who you can you can count on to fight for rebounds, to get make good passes, to handle the ball pretty well. I, I just like – I'm sorry to interrupt. I just like his overall no. tool set and, and the game that he has, even though he's not going to be the guy who's going to go score 20, 25 points a game for you. And I think the unfortunate thing about him was going into the 1920 season, coming off the Sweet 16 team, there was belief. Imagine how easier his job would have been if Jordan Bone doesn't go pro. Yes. If Brent Williams doesn't go pro. Like, because that's the guy that needs to be surrounded by offensively, offensively minded guys. So yep. you can't you don't see the best version of Josiah James because he's surrounded by a bunch of role players and two freshmen who aren't afraid to shoot it, but they can't always be your only offensive options. So that's what I'm saying. It may be until he gets to the next level. And I think, again, I think he's a pro. I ease. I think easily he's a pro because he shoots it well enough. He doesn't shoot it great, but he shoots it well enough. You know, from mid-range, he shoots it out to the three a little bit better. His shot seems to have gotten a little bit better this year. I know the kid works hard at it. He can defend a lot of different positions. He's obviously an unselfish player. He can rebound. He can do all those sorts of things, but you need to surround him with offensively talented players to unlock the full skill set. So imagine if he had had Jordan Bone. Imagine if he had Grant Williams. Look, Admiral was leaving, so that, that can't happen. 
But it, imagine if Lamonte Turner is there as well. Like, if you have those things, then now all of a sudden you're seeing the best version of that kid. Yeah. Like, I don't think you'll see it next year either, unless things change. Like, I don't know, I don't know what the roster construction has to look like to get some guys who are at least threats. Look, man, guys like Matt McClung, that guy's going to go out there and look for his shot. He is not out yep. there to pass the ball. I'm sitting here looking. He's averaging two in 79 career games. He's averaging two assists a game. He ain't out there for you, kid. He ain't out there for you, guy. He's you know he's every, he's consistently averaged around five three pointers a game. And he's and averaged he's, he's averaged he's about 12, 13 30, shots a game. Yeah. And he's making 31 percent from three. But people will always hinge on the fact that he's a gamer. He hits some big shots when they beat whoever they beat in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. I saw that game. Whenever uh, LSU, when they came back and beat LSU, he had a couple steals and made a couple shots. He's a game. No, he's not. He's a decent player. He's a nice player. But you're talking about a kid who is consistently shot 40% from the field. 40. That's the guy you want to base your offense around because you saw some highlights of him dunking. Like that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, what are we thinking here? He's not the guy that's going to unlock your best version. If you're going to if you're going to build your roster around talented players, you've got to make sure that the pieces fit. There were no your best shoot. You had three. You had two penetrators, two attackers on this Tennessee team this year. Johnson and Springer. Yep. You had a kid. I'll look. I would say at best, when you, it, the best version of Vescovi is a three point shooter because that kid's dangerous. And again, you're talking about kids who could look better with some with the right pieces around them. That kid, I don't know who he is. I don't really have a an app comparison for him. Maybe the best would be what was who was the kid who this is a weird comparison. It's not gonna make any sense. The kid from what um, you know, I, 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 this it won't make any sense. But I'm going there. Anyway. Uh, kind of a mix of like Jawan Smith and Chris Lofton. Just a kid who can just flat out just shoot. And because they're surrounded with other talented players, you're seeing that's the type of guy that Viscovi could be if he's surrounded with some guys. But you have to surround them with guys. Even in what people feel is Rick's antiquated offense, if you've got some talented offensive players that can go get their own shot who aren't true freshmen, you can do a lot with that roster. You can do a lot with that offense. That offense averaged over 80 points a game two seasons ago. Yep. It ain't about the offense. It's about the players. Mm-hmm. And like, and then you, you, you know, you combine that with that defense and the ability of that defense, where maybe you have one weak-ish piece. Vescovi and look, man, he knows where to be. He just gets run over a lot of times. Yep. He's at the right spot. <laughs> like, yeah. and you, and the the key to defense is just being willing. If he can just get in, you know, he gets in people's way. All of a sudden, you've got a big post player to come clean it up. Problem is, their big post player to clean it up this, this past year was six six and not a good rebounder. So, like, there's so many things that you can do to, for them to be competitive, man. And I think that next year the key is to just build a roster to where they can be competitive. Because that look, that man, I'll say this much, man. I'm not a Tennessee fan, but that fan base deserves 
like the the feel good of like that two season run where they won like fifty seven games yes. and an SEC tournament championship because it's hard, man. Like yeah, I, you know I, I know people always say the hardest step, it, the hardest thing to do is to be right there on the mountaintop and come down. And they crashed over the past two years. When you go from number one in the country to probable NIT team to first round in the NCAA tournament, that's tough, man. Mm-hmm. That's tough. And again, in, unless there's a ton of changes made, I don't know how that gets better immediately. But if they, if people think that you can just throw one piece in there and just and slobber over the fact that you have a five-star junior and the number one point guard in the country coming in, if you think that's going to be enough, I guarantee you this much. You may not be playing the first day of the SEC tournament next year, but you may be leaving the second day because that's the type of team that's not going to go very far next year. And I would bet a lot on that if they don't make yeah. a bunch of changes. So yeah, I don't, know who's, I, I don't know who's in charge of that, Schwartz or um, Des Oliver, whoever. is Like, you can't recruit hard enough. You can't bring in enough good pieces. Like, the bottom half of that roster needs to be gone. If there's one kid I would consider keeping at the bottom of that roster, like, I would consider keeping one of them. And there's only two options there. Either one of Devontae Games or Yuroche. Yep, that's exactly the two I was thinking of. Because those are the program guys that you want to kind of keep around. And those are the type of guys who will, you know, like I, I, I'm big on kids who stay. Yeah. I, I'm big on that, man. Like I, I'm big on it at high school. I'm big on it in college. I understand we're a day and age where high school kids will go to four schools, high schools in four years and still be regarded high. And then people are all of a sudden surprised when that kid's been in college for a year and transfers again. No, no. He showed you who he was. Believe him. So I'm big on guys who want to be a part of your program maybe they don't help maybe they can't help there's some place for like a two-minute span where Devonte Gaines goes in there and does something there's some place for a two-minute span where euros goes in there and does something i thought he played well against what bama yeah was we the last, last podcast that that was a that was a good game for him uh, so like there's a place for those guys i don't think you can keep both i don't because that leaves what like 12 spots I, I know there's some scholarship you know relief this year i think they can bring in whoever they want as long as they get back down to 13 the following year so maybe you bring in three guys and maybe you run with like 15 or something on your roster this year this following year two or three guys but like I, those are the type of guys i keep because one thing that people have seen over the past few years is people really fell in love with that grant team man in Admiral Schofield and Kyle Alexander. Uh, you know, it stunk when, you know, Jordan Bowen didn't quite get that because he wasn't around, but John Fulkerson got it this year. Um, you know, I think Pons would get it when his time has come. You know, Pons, wait, Pons is a senior. Mm-hmm. So he went through, did he go through senior day? Yeah, he and Fulkerson both did. Okay, yeah, I, again, I just saw the react. I just saw Fulkerson's reaction. I didn't really see much from Pons, but... But, I mean, like, those are the type of guys who were there through the feel-good. So you kind of want to keep at least one of those guys. I mean, I get it, man. Like, these past two years haven't been what you thought they'd be. Uh, But, man, like, I just feel like you can't just completely get, you know, jettison everybody. 
at the bottom of that roster. You know, if you keep in a sticky, he's he didn't start here. I understand his sister went there. He didn't start his career there. Like so, the and the fan base wasn't there this year. Yeah, <laughs> like right. so, you know, like people saw some feel good out of Josiah James. You know, Vescovi gave him some feel good. Devontae Gaines went out there and fought admirably as a point guard one game his <laughs> freshman year, and it was it was an abject failure against Wisconsin. I was mm. there. It was whoo, man. That was the game. <laughs> but you know, and like you, you, you just want to have one or to just keep one or two of those guys. And again, like then the rest of the roster, everybody else, man. Hey, we appreciate your contributions to the University of Tennessee. And I hate being this person because I hate you know because the transfer portal always sounds like it's the kids out here quitting on the school. And that's not always the case, but. Um, but I mean, it is what it is, and you know, I, I'm just looking at it from the perspective like you need to keep somebody in that program that has been there. He's just a four-year kid who can have his day. He deserves it because, you know, like it ain't his fault. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that kid's out there trying. Uh, that kid's out there doing everything he possibly can, fighting. Especially if you're talking about one of those two kids, probably Devontae. I think I would lean him because he was in the signing class. Um, again, if it's Eurosh, it's Eurosh. But Eurosh started somewhere else. You know, people didn't really fall in love with like his, you know, with this recruitment. They didn't really fall in love with the Gaines kid because that kid committed when he was like 15 or something. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he he'd been committed to Tennessee for a long time. Yeah. So again, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just simply saying, like, keep somebody and everybody else. Let's figure out how we can make this roster. You don't have to have 11 guys that can just go. Right, but you yeah. about eight. Just mm-hmm. get to eight, and do you, how do you feel about your eight this going into next season? Because I don't think you feel all that good. Just, just my thought. Not right now. You don't know. I agree. Um, we we kind of got. I, I don't know. I, this is a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad we had this, and I, I know this all started as a Rick Barnes thing, and I, I'm really glad we had that roster talk as well. But really quickly here to end the podcast to go back to Rick Barnes a little bit. It's something you said earlier that I was going to bring up, but then we, we got on that roster conversation and I didn't want to quit that because I thought that train was going really well. To go back to kind of Rick Barnes and you talking about, you know, pre-Texas, what, what were they before he took over? Honestly, it, this is to... Okay, so let me frame it this way. I think Rick Barnes deserves the criticism he's gotten for fans or for the most part. The the To me, the not over-the-top criticism. The criticism of Yes, you've not met expectations. Yes, these early round exits have been disappointing, especially this year. This this year's team, even if our expectations were off on them this preseason, they shouldn't have been a first round exit, and not just a first round exit, but a, a, a losing by 14 points and it being not really competitive in the second half exit. The offense should have been a better offense. They should have had a better roster construction. All that is true, and I, and I, I 100% think Rick Barnes deserves criticism. But I also think maybe people are being too critical on him when you look at what Tennessee, as you mentioned, what Tennessee has been historically as a men's basketball program, and you look at what Texas was before Rick Barnes took over. You can argue that Texas, that Rick Barnes put Texas on the map in the modern-day college basketball. He set a school record for most consecutive NCAA appearances, a school record 14 straight NCAA tournament appearances from 1999 to 2012. They made the tournament in uh, 16 of his 17 years there. 
school best 13 straight 21 seasons from 2000 to 2012. You look at their their runs in the tournament, their Elite Eight and Final Four appearances. Texas as a school has seven final or seven Elite Eight appearances as a school. Three of those came before 1950. Three of the four after that, Rick Barnes was was responsible for that. They made one in 1990, and then the other three, 03, 06, 08, were all Rick Barnes teams. They have three Final Four appearances. The first two, 1943, 1947. The other one, 2003. He has their only modern day Final Four appearance. They never they've never made it past that. They they won a, a pre tournament championship in 1933, but the modern era of college basketball really even says 1950. Texas hasn't been known for their basketball success. They had a they had some Sweet 16 appearances in 1960, 63, 72, 90, 97. But then that was all interspersed within like what 40 years there of of, of four appearances basically in 40 years. Rick Barnes got them there five times in a six year span: 02, 03, 04, 06, 08. Again, I think Rick Barnes deserves criticism. I'm not trying to be a coach worshiper. I'm not trying to to deflect and distract and say, hey, he's you shouldn't you should not criticize him. He doesn't deserve this. I think he does. If you look at what Texas was before he got there, and you look at what Tennessee has been historically, other than what you saw from Bruce Pearl, and then you go all the way back to the the uh, Ray Mears era, that's been it. You've had Mears, and you've had Pearl as bright spots, and then that's been kind of it. And now you, you've had a little bit more of a bright spot here with Rick Barnes. They've made, they've made it to the tournament. Give my boy Jerry Green his flowers, man. Hey, uh, Jerry Green, he did. I, I like the Jerry Green era, the, as short-lived as it was. The four years he was there, they did, they did some good things there. I mean, you've had different coaches have success at Tennessee. Jerry Green, yeah. Bruce Pearl, Conzo Martin, now Rick Barnes, all in the, in the 2000s have all gotten the Sweet 16s. But to the point I was going to make there, they've made the tournament three years, three straight years they've had a tournament. And, you know, they weren't, they probably weren't going to make it last year unless they made a run in the SEC tournament. But in the three years they've had the tournament, they've made it three straight years. That's only the fourth time since the 1970s that Tennessee's had a, a streak of three straight or more seasons of making the NCAA tournament. You've had a lot of years in there where Tennessee didn't make the tournament. And those, those streaks were obviously with Ray Mears, Jerry Green, uh, Bruce Pearl and now Rick Barnes of making it, you know, three or more years in a row of getting to the NCAA tournament. So I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve criticism because I think he does. But if you look at the grand scheme of things of the schools he's been at, he's been at, at Texas, Kansas, or Kansas, Texas, Clemson, Tennessee, and Providence. Says, I mean, that's not a that's I think that's not a, a a bad basketball school either. But it's not like he's he's been at schools that basketball hasn't been the end-all be-all. It hasn't been the big sport. He hasn't been at a Kansas. He hasn't been at a Kentucky, an Indiana, a North Carolina, a Duke, he's a UCLA. He's not been at schools like that. He's been at schools where football is king, where the basketball teams have been kind of, I wouldn't say afterthoughts, but they've not been the top program. The men's team at Tennessee wasn't even the top basketball program for a long time at UT. The Lady Vols, I mean, still national brand-wise, they're, they're bigger than the men's team. But I mean, they the Tennessee basketball for a while there, especially in the '90s and early 2000s, was third, maybe even fourth, depending on when you're looking at the baseball team. That they might have been fourth on campus. So it, it's I, I I think Barnes deserves criticism, but I think people have gone some people have gone way too far, and I think some people have just gone a little too far on the criticism. And I think you mentioned earlier too, Gene, and you look at what Tennessee basketball is and has been. 
one Elite Eight tournament appearance in school history, and most of your most of your Sweet Sixteen appearances have come in the last 15, 20 years. So, I think he deserves criticism. I think he deserves blame. I think he deserves to you know not be held on a pedestal and, and coach worshipped. No, no coach deserves that, in my opinion. I think he definitely you know deserves some of the criticism. But for people saying that he, I saw a tweet saying that he needs to enter the transfer portal. That you know Tennessee should move on from him. All this different stuff. People are just being reckless with their opinions. I, I get it. They're upset and they're hurt, and that's what fans do. You, you tweet it out. You tweet through it. Get your emotions out and everything. I've been guilty of that in the past. I try not to do that as much anymore. But definitely back in, I would say, my college days for sure, was guilty of doing that. But I I think Rick Barnes is a great man. I think he's a good coach. I think he's gotten too much hate. I also, personally, I don't expect Tennessee to make really a deep tournament run under Rick Barnes. That's to me the more opportunities you get, the more chances you get to the tournament, the more times you get to the NCAA tournament, that just further increases your chances of making those runs. And if Tennessee can just keep getting there, they're get, providing themselves with opportunities to make the run. And and Brick Barnes could surprise me, and I, he really could. They they've made it to the, the SEC tournament finals, uh, and more often than I thought they would ever. And and especially under Rick Barnes with his his lack of you know having success in tournament type settings. So. Do you know if you don't know if you have any closing thoughts or not? I just want to throw that out there about Texas and Tennessee because I thought that was an interesting kind of historical look at where Texas was when Rick Barnes took over and what Tennessee has been before Rick Barnes took over. Because you look at when when Rick Barnes took over at Tennessee, he was the third coach in three years, and they they were lucky they didn't get hit with more penalties. Donnie Tindall kind of got the brunt of all of that, and, and Tennessee was very lucky they didn't get really any anything on them with that whole situation and and just. Conzo got to one appearance. That was they had had one tournament appearance since 2011, and they didn't make it back to the tournament until 2018. That team that surprised everybody and went 26 and nine and, and won the a share of the SEC regular season title. Remember what I said about the uh, buffer? I was talking earlier in the podcast about the buffer um, of like younger players and experienced players. The same could be said for Tennessee because you talked about it with the historical success of football and with women's basketball like Tennessee fans wanted to see the basketball team do well but if they didn't eh. like some of Jerry Green's stuff got buffered just mainly from I mean it was was just kind of helped by the fact that football won a national championship women's basketball won a national championship I'm pretty sure the same year yeah, 98. 98. Um, and then that same 98, man, I, I could only imagine like being a Tennessee fan in 1998 when your football team just won, uh, your basketball team just won, and you just picked up one of the top 10 players in the country. And heck, my former high school teammate, Vincent Yarbrough. So I can only imagine the Philly. Actually, I, I actually have a pretty good idea because I spent a lot of time up there. I, I know what it was like then. It's pretty interesting. Um, but so, like, people, but they might not have liked the Jerry Green era, but it gets highlighted when the sports you truly care about aren't matching what they normally are. So now, you know, fast forward to 2021, you look at a, a football program that's obviously struggling right now. I mean, struggling is to put it nice. Uh, you know, you've got a 
you've got a women's basketball program that I think is on the ascension, but it's going to take another year or so. I mean, there's still some pieces she's got to, she can't, she can't get rid of everybody, but she's got some pieces she's probably going to lose. I'd say that she's not going to be all that disappointed to lose. Um, as she tries to build the roster in her image, which may not be was which may not be the same image as, as Harley Holly Warlick. Um, so, but neither one of those teams are what they were when uh, when they were actually dominating. You know, when they were the top programs, well, the top one or two programs in the in the country in women's basketball, and easily a top ten at worst program in uh, in football. So now, because those programs are suffering, people are like, look, you better give us this feel good. You better make us happy. Go dance for us. Go make us happy. And so now, you know, then, of course, Rick is recruiting pretty well. So now it's like, OK, well, they're going to give us the feel good that football and women's basketball, you know, mainly football, if we're being honest, uh, they're not giving us right now. So it's like, OK. Um, so now all the pressures on the basketball team and Rick is obviously the past couple seasons specifically, because I don't know why people thought that when that roster, I mean, when that season, the way last season was unfolding, people still thought that he should have won like 24, 25 games. I don't know why they thought that. Um, but they did. I was up there and I was communicating with people in that base. I mean, in that, in that base, I know what they felt. Um, they thought that he should have been better. I'm like, have you seen this roster? Well, the roster's his fault, but not everything was his fault. There's, I don't know, how do you prepare to lose a middle, mid to late round, first round draft pick and the number 57 pick in the draft? You don't prepare to lose those guys. You know, you don't prepare to lose a six six post player and a, a six, you know, a six three point guard who's just hoping to get drafted. You don't prepare to lose those guys because you don't expect to lose them. Like this year, you pretty much expect to lose Johnson and Springer, and if you don't lose one or either of them, that's a positive. Yeah. But you know, like Grant Williams wasn't the type of guy that like that's a pro. He's a great. He was a great college offensive player. But in the day, he's a six-six player who went to the one school in the country that highlights post play. In twenty nine, in twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen, whenever he got there, twenty sixteen, he went to the one school in the country where you, where you could go be a. He played for the one coach in the country where you could be a six six post player and look like a twenty ten guy. Because they're going to give you the ball. It's the one school in the country that does that. I mean, there may be some other obscure school, but. Like there were many places that he could have gone and looked the way he looked. So therefore, people. You know, so people thought that he was this amazing pro. I'm like, no, he's a, he's a pro. But you, I mean, it's bared out in two years, kind of what he is as a pro. You're a Celtics guy. Yep. He, he look, he's a good pro. He's gonna hang around for a long time. But you know, to attach the word pro to him, I mean, to Grant Williams and say, I can't believe we weren't better because a guy who's averaging like five and three or whatever in the league, um, you know, wasn't. You know, we couldn't win with him. It's not fair. It's not fair. So there's a lot. This that's there's a lot until the other programs that Tennessee is more historically known for 
there's a lot that is going to go on the shoulders of Tennessee basketball, just mainly because that's that you know that in baseball. Like so, let let Vitello, uh, let him start losing. I mean, let him because like you are the feel good right now because basketball's over. So guess what? We are looking at you, guy. We're not looking at all these uh, the rest. We don't we don't trust Rick Barnes. We don't know about you don't know about the football coach. We don't watch women's basketball. So therefore it's on you. This is like what's gonna be. They're just gonna keep on just moving over to the next thing and getting mad whenever the expectations don't when they're they, when the team doesn't reach their expectations. You know, it's like, well, and then when he, when Rick doesn't win, they'll point to a salary. Even like you pay like you pay it, like which is weird because you don't pay it. Um they'll point to a salary. Should he be better? Yeah. There's a better season mm-hmm. he should have had. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure this was one of them. It just, it just took 20, what, 27 games for us to... Really, it didn't take 27 games. But it no, it took like 21, 20 games it, around there. I, I started... I, I kind of started to have some questions when they got in the SEC, SEC league play. And I kind of saw what they looked like against teams that looked like them. And I didn't like what I saw. But, again, if you're in the media, you have expectations. I mean, you make predictions, and you don't like to be wrong, so therefore you hold on to your predictions, and you lash out at the people who are wrong. Uh, you lash out at the team whenever the, they don't reach your expectations. So that's what I did. But I kind of had my questions because I felt the offense was not good enough, and as it turned out, that's exactly how it played out. So... We'll see. I mean, he's taken two programs, three programs, really, that are more known for their football than their basketball, and he's made them, you know, relevant in in this sport. And uh, you know, he's going to make he's going to make Tennessee respectable. He's going to have them good. It's going to take a lot of work for them to be good next year, but I think he understands that. And we'll see what it looks like. And I, I assume as we keep recording these things, we'll start seeing little things that happen. Especially because I think signing day is in like three weeks. The signing period for the spring starts in like three weeks. Right. So they've got plenty of time to kind of really get make some inroads with some players, figure some stuff out, and we'll see. But as it stands here on March 25th, um, they can't take this roster into next year and think they're going to be anywhere near the top half of the league. Especially because you're already losing two, you're bringing two in. Those two are younger, <laughs> and I don't, they're not a better one-two punch than the ones that you're losing. So I would just have my concerns about that. But we'll see. That's why, you know, we do this on a weekly basis because we can obviously just watch as everybody else is, but we just have a platform to opine on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, well, this was a, a long episode, but I think it hopefully was a good one. I, I, some of you, I remember asking a while back on Twitter, running a poll about kind of the length of podcast people prefer. And, and it seems like they either prefer kind of that 30, 40 minute podcast or a, a 60 plus minute podcast. So hopefully this, this is filling that need for you, the itch if you're listening to sports talk radio or something like that, or needing a podcast for a longer drive. Hopefully this will, uh, like I said, scratch that itch for you. But yeah, just forward think... through my parts and just listen to Nate Daniel. He's, he's <laughs> not nah, man. I'd, I'd, I'd rather listen to you. Y'all man. He's speaking with the passion when he says this stuff, just watch, just read on Twitter his hate of Kentucky, and he you can tell he is one of y'all. <laughs> I'm just a guy who's just out here just talking, man. But, like, yeah, just fast forward through my parts. 
Nathaniel is your voice. He is the person you can let that'll knock you down to about, you know, 24 minutes because I just gave you like 35 minutes of dribble. Nah, listen to Gene's part. He he played basketball. He knows what he's talking about with this stuff more than I do. I'm just a fan. I, I played in middle school, so I don't have the uh <laughs> the uh the experience that, that you do. But again, I I appreciate you, Gene. I thought this was a, a great conversation. Hopefully you listeners thought the same thing as well. Uh, let us know on Twitter. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Underscore Rutherford and Gene. You're at Gene Henley, but I think you have a, a number somewhere in there for yours. Got a three at the end, man. I'm the third. Yes. Gene Henley three. Gene Henley three at Twitter. So let us know uh, your thoughts on this podcast, in, in, in previous podcasts as well, and anything else you'd like to talk about in the future, or just you want to you know just discuss this with us and say, hey, I agree with you here, I disagree with you here. Um, be respectful if you can. <laughs> We'd prefer that. Um, again, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all, you know, for again hanging with us through the transition here. I was very happy with the numbers of the first podcast and kind of the transition phase between the SEC Basketball Fever podcast and the Vol Fever podcast. So I appreciate that. Uh, keep sharing this around. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. Leave us a review on there. Uh, subscribe to us or follow us on Spotify. We're on Google Podcast if you use that. We have the, on the Podbean app. That's what hosts our podcast as well. So be sure and check all that out. Share us with the, the show with a friend. Let all the other Vol fans know. And we didn't get a chance, Gene, to talk about the Lady Vols, really. And I, I really want to talk about them and their season ending. So I think next episode, we will for sure have to talk about them. And I said this last episode, too, but if you're a Lady Vol fan or if you like the Lady Vols and like talking about women's basketball and think you would like to do a podcast or have podcasting experience, let me know. I, I would love to have just kind of a weekly or biweekly show, especially since it's the offseason now. We'll kind of see, you know, what the schedule would have looked like. But I'd love to talk more about Lady Vols and, and, and their own episode per week um, on, on the Vol Basketball Fever podcast because I think they're they're worth talking about. And women's sports in general, I think, are worth having more of a conversation about than they get. So I'd love to talk about Lady Vols for a whole episode of the podcast um, in the future. But Gene, I think we'll go ahead and end it here, this long episode here. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Again, share your thoughts with us online about Rick Barnes, about the future of this roster, um, about whether or not you think the expectations you know, kind of played into it this, this past season and whether they were really off. Obviously, they were off, but if you thought so at the time, maybe they're off. So we'll, we'll just, you know, let us know. And we'll talk to you guys again next week. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast.